This is At Risk Radio. Welcome to At Risk Radio. At Risk Radio is a show where we talk about leadership in the church at risk. My name is Mark Stafford, and I'm the host of the show. I'm here with David Witt. He's the CEO of SOM International. And with Brian O'Connell, he is the global facilitator with Religious Liberty Partnership. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. All right, David, you have a deep connection with RLP. Uh, that's what we kind of call that's like a shortcut for Religious Liberties Partnership, RLP. Tell us a little bit about RLP and its connection to SOM. Well, it's become such a deeper connection with us just because the relationships that we've developed throughout the collaboration with uh, RLP, which is Religious Liberty Partners. And we're going to get more from that from Brian details. But I want to bring up Brian today because one of the things about Spirit of Martyrdom International that we want to honor are the fathers of faith and those who have laid down their lives and risks much for Jesus through history. And that's truly leadership. And we all stand on those who have come before us. And Brian, you're definitely one of those that I got to meet and to know through RLP. And then I discovered in our relationship that you are the founder of IDOP as, as a team. You had a few other people there, but it was really on your heart. And that was an integral part for me coming to serving the persecuted church and behind, I believe, in our ministry, and then discover a great secret that he's one of the founders of the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So oh, really? it's such an honor, again, Brian, to have you to the show. So welcome. And first of all, I think our listeners want to hear, who are you? <laughs> Give us a thumbnail of the kind of role that you're serving the Persecuted Church and the body of Christ around the world. Yes, who am I? Yeah, that's a question. That's a, a question we all need to kind of continue to answer. It's deep. Well, yeah, my 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 ministry over the course of the past thirty years has been a facilitative leadership role. It's a catalytic role that allows people to come into space and learn how to work together. Okay. We think this wacky concept of the body of Christ working together is uh, the Jesus strategy, and it's hard and it's difficult. And people give a lot of lip service to it, but it's, we think, something that the enemy fights. That's why it's so hard. So we've, been, we've worked in what we kind of call issue-based networks. Um, we deal with the most vulnerable, the most at-risk, as you would say, in, in a variety of contexts, whether it's children or refugees and displaced peoples or certainly uh, those under pressure and being persecuted mm. for their faith. So define this for me. You use the word catalytic, and I've heard that in, in mission circles, but that's not a word I hear outside mm. of the mechanic shop in any other circles. <laughs> so just as a lay person to what you do, define that term. What, what do you mean by you're a catalytic organization? Well, I would say that I hope that we're a catalytic organization, but we're trying to build catalytic leaders. So what, what does that mean? What is, it, what is a catalytic leader? Well, the, the, the structure that most people are familiar with organizationally is hierarchical. You know, there's a CEO, there's a leadership team, and then there's staff. And so you can kind of view the, the hierarchical mentality uh, that a CEO or a normal you know, leadership team would have. What we see as being most critical, especially in the 21st century, is the idea of how can we build collaborative leadership teams that may have, uh, you know, a, a senior leader that is what we call first among okay. equals. But the idea is how do we build a 
mentality that says we can work together in our different roles and different giftings that God has given us. It's similar to, you know, maybe even some church structures that, that some of us are familiar with, where it's a collaborative team rather than just a senior pastor. I see, I see. How does that work and how does that catalytic understanding of not just building your own kingdom, <laughs> but working together to build the kingdom of God? I have a good definition here. I Googled it real quick, and this is a great leadership word for our leadership podcast, a catalyst mm-hmm is a person who, by his actions, selflessly helps, mentors, influences, and guides other people professionally. Brian, you definitely are a person who encapsulates that definition. And International Day of Prayer is close to your heart. And tell us about the history of how that became a catalyst for the persecuted churches around the world. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a long story. I won't bore your listeners with too much. But through two rather large global networks, one being the Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization and the other World Evangelical Alliance in, in the Late 80s, early 90s, there was an increasing attention being given to those under pressure, those living in context where the church was being discriminated against and or persecuted. And so we started bringing people together, asking the question, you know, how can we work together on these things? Are there things that we can do together that we can't do by ourselves? All of us were doing good work in this right. arena. Uh, it was a emerging growth, the difference between, let's just say, 1994, when when the official International Day of Prayer was launched, and today is that the number of organizations that are focused on uh, those under pressure and persecution has probably quadrupled. Mm. Wow. And that's an, uh, probably, it's, it, it's probably even more than that. Wow. I'm in the process of doing research on that. There are hundreds of groups now all over the world, not just in the West, that are focused on how can we assist those who are under pressure and related, how can we assist those fleeing persecution? Right. The, the growth of the forcibly mm. displaced over the course of the last 30 years has paralleled this growth of of persecution. When we first started, we were amazed by the statistic that two-thirds of the world's uh, Christians were in places of pressure and persecution, and, and that was amazing to us. We wow, that is amazing. It, it, it just didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't something that would had been right. highlighted, and, and that was one of the reasons why we we started looking at okay, what can we do together? Obviously, one of the greatest needs that that people have under persecution, under pressure, is is prayer. Yeah. We asked literally hundreds of people on that are that are living in these contexts what do you need what would you what what, what can we do for you and 95 percent of them started without hesitation saying well we need your prayers well brian we got to run to a break here real quick but hey during this break you're going to hear how your church your bible study your small group can get access to some materials that'll help them pray during the national international day of prayer for the persecuted church so we'll be right back after this quick break at risk radio every sunday in america Over 60 million people freely walk into the doors of a church fellowship. But not everyone enjoys this kind of social freedom. 
Christians face harassment in 145 countries around the world. Some even give their lives today because of their faith in Jesus. Persecution is harsh. Women and children are the most vulnerable of all people groups. But be inspired that your family in Christ is boldly sharing love and hope, despite local officials doing everything they can to silence them. In fact, let me assure you that our prayers today bring them comfort and love. Thank you for standing with our persecuted family. To stay informed and to help assist, go to spiritofmartyrdom.com. Welcome back to At Risk Radio. I'm online with David Witt. He's the CEO of SOM International. I'm also online with Brian O'Connell from the Religious Liberty Partnership. Brian, before we went to break, you were telling us about the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And after you had interviewed hundreds of people, you said, what is your greatest need right now? And they said, without hesitation, we need people to pray. You pick up that story and tell us what that turned into with RLP. Yeah, happy to. Thanks. I think the, the, the catalytic event for the International Day of Prayer primarily was uh, the, the murder and martyrdom of Bishop Hovasian in okay. Iran in 1994 and the plight of the church in Iran, which, by the way, hasn't changed much <laughs> in the last few decades. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I'm very unfamiliar with this, actually. Can, can you give us a, a thumbnail shot of like, what happened there in 94? Basically, the government didn't particularly care for the way in which the church was growing. Not surprisingly, although not always, when the church is under pressure, growth tends to happen. Again, it doesn't always happen. But as a result of of the response that we had for a focused day of International Day of Prayer for Iran in 1994, we decided, you know what? Hey, we we need to launch this globally. And our, our primary idea was recognizing the fact that Yes, prayer can change circumstances, um, but it also can change the prayer. And we we wanted to see the global church energized and passionate about their family under pressure, not to see them as victims, but to see them as their family, right. and to come alongside mm-hmm. them, encourage them, uh, and pray for them. And almost without exception, right. It wasn't just pray for us. It was pray for us that we can remain faithful because mm-hmm. they're under a great deal of pressure to, you know, right. denounce their faith, do things differently, be quiet about their faith. And they wanted to maintain their obedience. And that's one of the one of the key lessons learned that we've talked about over the years is that not only can we help those who are under pressure, but we can learn from them. We can right, we can follow right. their example. We we can be encouraged by the, the the fight that they instead of running and hiding, although sometimes that does happen. Many choose to fight, and we wanted to lock arms with them and walk together. Yeah, and that's something we hear a lot uh, as we put out these stories about the, those who are risking much for Jesus. That those who are back here in the stage are like. Oh, man, I'm so encouraged to hear about this battle this person is fighting for their faith, and it really gives them the courage to maybe fight some much smaller battles for their faith. Uh, you know, back here, back here at home. All right, Brian, I want to jump in here at this point to just give kudos and official thanks to our audience out there. You know, really for everybody yeah. listening, Brian became even a spiritual mentor for me. I didn't even know it because as I look back, and Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, it was 1996. 
that the official committee in the United States was formed and the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church launched. So is that correct, Brian, 1996? Yes, it, it was 1996. It wasn't just it wasn't just the U.S. Through World Evangelical Alliance and their hundred then 125 different country alliances, many of them were also involved, and their regional offices were involved. It was quite intriguing to us because one of the one of the things that 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 kind of stunned us over the first few years of having the International Day of Prayer was the vast amount of participation from those who were under pressure. It, it, we had to almost encourage those in, in the Western world and other places that are not under pressure to be involved in this. Boy, there was no real encouragement needed in those places where the under pressure. They wanted to pray for others who were in their situation. Okay, great, Brian. Yeah, thanks. Nineteen ninety-six. Right, right. I found out in the very beginning days about the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and I was a youth pastor in those days, seeking the Lord for what's next. And my aunt calls me and tells me about this book by Paul Marshall. I think you knew him. Uh, she sends it to me, and we go to her church. And one of the leaders at that time, a guy named Steve Haas, I still remember his name. It's imprinted in my uh, heart because he had such an impact. And he was very passionate about promoting the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And that was the days that I was starting to read all of Richard Wormbrand books and getting the Voice of the Martyrs newsletter. And the Lord began to stir deeply in my heart. So they got involved in Serving the persecuted church in those original days, uh, right after the launch again of the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. So again, I'm one of the persons of say hundreds, if not thousands, I guess around the world of the fruit of people coming together in prayer. And Brian, I just want to add one more uh, thing for you to comment on now. One of the things that I know you talked about was calling for the awareness of the persecuted church. And I think it's happening now with the news and everything happening in organization. There's a greater awareness. I guess what's stirring in my heart is we are to move further along that path, not just awareness, but how do we move to solidarity? What does it look like, and what do you think, Brian, is the growth and maturity of this prayer movement and people getting involved? Yeah, I think your your statement is is prophetic, David. I'm not sure it's reality, but needless to say, there the increased profile of those who are under pressure for their faith has massively increased. I wouldn't say that it's it's a done it, it, it's done yet. <laughs> we have a lot. Of places where, I mean, every day, every, certainly every month where I speak in other places, and I mention some of these things and some of the statistics that are out there. One of them, for an example, is that about 75% of the world lives under some kind of religious restriction. 21st century, that wow. just sounds counterintuitive. Aren't we all it does. You know, tolerant now, uh, you know, et cetera. And I think you're right. The, the growth of awareness and the, and the growth and, of, of understanding, you know, what's going on with these most vulnerable people in our family has triggered a great deal of more solidarity-oriented uh, projects, to use your word. And what, what's intriguing to me is some of these statistics over the course of even the last five to ten years show that actually persecution has increased over course of the last generation and and so some one of one of my friends said well gosh you guys just weren't praying enough 
<laughs> I said, well, I'm oh, not gosh. sure that's the case, but I, I hear your point. We have been doing this for a long time, but the fact is there is more engagement in supporting, coming alongside and assisting certainly praying for our sisters and our brothers who are under pressure. And I do think that the the growth of international advocacy, which I think would be a clear case of how to come alongside in solidarity, in some cases that, that advocacy is really welcomed and very much appreciated. In other places, it's, yeah, you might want to be a little bit quiet about it because we don't want to raise our profile before, you know, those folks, either government or other religious organizations, they'll come down on us. So it's kind of a dance yeah, yeah. To, to really figure out how, how, how to work, how to, how to promote the, the awareness, which is easier, there's less challenges. But also when we start, you know, advocating before governments and international organizations like the United Nations and talking about some of these issues, yeah. we, we, have, we have to be wise. Well, Brian, appreciate again your heart and leadership with RLP. That's where CEOs teach leadership and get together to collaborate, build relationships and discuss these sensitive issues. Because I think the wisdom that comes out of relationships is what is the greatest need, certainly today, as so many people are disconnected. And we really right. don't know the greatest need until we know each other, too. It really flushes out the needs out there and how we could serve each other. So you're doing so much to, again, build up the collaborative organizations around the world to work together. Mark's going to bring us out here, Brian, but why don't you end with any word of prayer that you want to invite the listening audience to be involved with for the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church? Yeah, I, I, I will just say this. One of the key developments over the course of the last 10 years, at least, uh, in the uh, IDOP movement is the way in which other organizations is not, not not as centralized as it was in the beginning. It's a decentralized movement of prayer. Other organizations like yourselves and others who have developed resources and are promoting them, you know, very well among their constituencies. I think that's that's something that we can, can really pray for is how how God is using the persecuted church to become a discipleship element in the cause of um, the kingdom. Well, hey, we, we got to come to a close. And so, David, I want to just talk about just really briefly, SOM has developed some of those materials for this year. We do every year. Uh, this year, we have a couple of videos we made. We have a video that you made. Uh, we made for your Bible study or your small group, whatever you can show. And then there's a prayer card that goes along with that, that really works you through various things a small group can pray for. They can get that at spiritofmartyrdom.com. If you remember it, slash IDOP. But if you go to spiritofmartyrdom.com, there's a button right on the front of the page that says IDOP. You can download that. It's free. We just really want to get those who are in our constituency, uh, those who are our listeners, to download those resources and to use them. We want them to be used because ultimately, David, like you know, we want people to be aware of what's happening in the persecuted church is really important to us and also to be doing the most important thing, which is to be praying for them and to be standing with those who are risking much for Jesus. So would you add anything more to that, David? I just want to thank Brian for being a leader for Christ. Yeah, thank you. A champion and a brother in Christ. We're going to continue to pray for you, Brian, and your work 
and looking forward to our next conference and being together. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Until next time, my name is Mark Stafford, and this has been At Risk Radio. You've been listening to At Risk Radio. For more, go to atriskradio.com. At Risk Radio is a production of SOM International.